0: we will have a reading. Good morning, everyone. All right, cool. Uh, My name is Sean. My pronouns are he, him, his, and I'm going to be doing the scripture reading. So today we're going to be looking in John 11, chapter 11, verses 45 through 48 and 53 through 55. Therefore, many of the Jews who had come to visit Mary had seen what Jesus did, believed in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting in the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him, and then the Romans will come and take away both our temple and our nation. So from that day on, um, they plotted to take his life. Therefore, Jesus no longer moved about publicly among the people of Judea. Instead, he withdrew to a region near the wilderness, to a village called Ephraim, and he stayed with his disciples. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, many went up from the country to Jerusalem for their ceremonial cleansing before the Passover. So now we're going to look in John chapter 12, verses 12 through 15. The next day, the crowd, the great crowd that had come from the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the king of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it as it is written. Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt.
1: Amen. Thank you, Sean. Good morning, everybody. My name is Jonah. My pronouns are they, them, theirs, and I am the lead pastor here at Zao MKE Church. Uh, and we are in a series called Zao Lives. We are talking about all the ways um, that uh, life is present in the Gospels. And the word Zao in particular, this, this word that defines our community um, and its rooting in the scriptures. Zao, uh, for those of you who haven't heard yet or those of you who need a refresher, means to be among the living. It means not lifeless, not dead, but fully alive. And so that is what we have named ourselves, that we are people in pursuit of life, that we worship a God of life, that we participate in this progress toward life and the renewing of life of all things. And so uh, we, every story that we have examined this season this series has had the word Zao in it, in the original Greek text that we draw from. How many of you have heard of Palm Sunday before? Show of hands. Okay, a bunch of us. Cool. Um, Again, refresher or new for those who are uninitiated, Palm Sunday is a day when we remember a very specific story in the life and times of Jesus. As Jesus is moving towards Jerusalem, this this conflict that takes place in Jerusalem is really, really important, and this last week of Jesus' life is really powerful, contains a lot of his uh, powerful teachings, and is in direct conflict with the Roman Empire. And so Jesus has been journeying, depending on which, which gospel you're reading, either for one year or three, throughout the countryside with the peasants, with the people, and doing these teachings and miracles, building relationships and drawing People to him. But now he's going to the seat of power, Jerusalem, the capital. And in this last story, Jesus is entering into Jerusalem uh, on on a Sunday, ready for the showdown that is to come. Now, spoilers, the stuff we really know a lot about um, the crucifixion that happens on Friday, the resurrection happens on the following Sunday. So, this is we're entering into a remembering of the last week of Jesus' life and teachings. And so Palm Sunday um, is something that gets preached on a lot. There are four Gospels, four accounts of the life and teachings of Jesus in the Bible. Um, They're called Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. All of them have different perspectives. Some of them tell different types of stories. Every one of them tells this story in some kind of way. We're reading it from John today, and the reason we're reading it from John is because uh, this is a continuation of the last story we read in John, the raising of Lazarus from the dead. And that is where we get these words uh, connected to the root word zhao in this story, that Jesus is bringing life from death. And last time we gathered, we talked about Lazarus and the fact that Jesus is the kind of God who goes into spaces of death and brings life from them. And and so what we're seeing now in John's telling of this is how everybody else is reacting to that. The people, the people who are being crushed by these oppressive systems, the people who are under occupation by Rome, the people who are peasants in the countryside are getting riled up. They are getting so excited, so uh, empowered, so hopeful because Jesus is bringing this new life. And so they're starting to follow him around. They're starting to, to cause a ruckus. And uh, there are other folks who are less excited. Those are the folks in power. Those are the folks who are affiliated with the Roman Empire. And there are two kinds of power brokers in this story represented here. One is the Roman Empire itself. These are the folks who have come in and occupied Palestine, occupied the Jewish people, occupied Israel, and said, hey, we're in charge now. And they came in with all their military might. And they had, that's what the Romans did. They just sort of like rolled in, killed a bunch of people and took over. Um, that's, that was their, how they established their empire. And so they uh, are, are sort of these overlords over the Jewish people. But in between the peasant class Roman Empire with their soldiers and their emperors and governors, there's a middle class of people. Uh, Middle class might be a misleading phrase, so we'll just call them middle management instead. And this bummer middle management is unfortunately the co-opted role of high priest and the council of priests at that time um, in in the Jewish context. So basically what had happened was the Roman government had come in and said, hey, you can keep all of your traditions, you can keep all of your culture, all of your um, religious practices, even your um, religious structures of authority. Side note, we get to pick who is the high priest now and who has any of those roles of authority. And so the Romans had actually come into this beautiful religious community and put into power only the people who would uh, collude with Rome. And so... What we, what we see in the beginning of this story is people reacting to Jesus, people reacting to this prophet, this, this person, this God on earth who is coming and bringing life into spaces of death, and the peasants are going wild for it, and the empire is not going to like that, and the middle management is going, ooh, <laughs> we are going to lose our jobs, which in our case means losing our heads. And so they start to get really worried. The Romans are going to see this and come and destroy And and I think that this is a really important theme for us to understand, that when we proclaim life, that comes as a threat to someone. When we claim life and freedom and liberation, it comes as a direct threat to those powers of death and oppression who are benefiting off of destruction. So, they planned to put him to death. They, not the Roman Empire, but they, the religious rulers, who would have been on Jesus' side if they weren't so afraid. They, this middle management that says, I would rather do this lesser evil thing. In fact, the high priest at the time, Caiaphas, it wasn't in the, we cut it out of the passage for for length, Um, but the high priest at the time says, better for one man to die than for the whole nation to be destroyed. This lesser evilism, this let's pick the least worst option, is so short-sighted because they don't understand what really is at stake because we never do, when we're just trying to save our own tail. And so they're saying, hey, we don't want Israel to be destroyed by the Roman Empire, so let us give up this one man, what does that matter? Let us give up this bringer of life so that we can keep living this half-life under systems of destruction, evil, and death. And so, they worked with the powers of the world, with the powers of occupation in their middle management role, and they met life and the king of life and the bringer of life with a plot for death. Now, this is a really important time. Jesus didn't pick a random time to go to Jerusalem. He went for Passover, and Passover is super cool. Passover is a festival that would happen every year in the Jewish calendar, still does. And, uh, and during Passover... Every edge of the empire occupying Israel is on edge. And the reason they're on edge is because Passover itself was and is a whole festival celebration of the triumph of life over death. The basics of Passover is it's a remembering of the time when the Jewish people were enslaved in Egypt And after a long confrontation, in the midst of destruction after destruction after destruction, God passes over the Jewish people to protect them from death, allowing them to escape from Egypt and and pursue freedom and liberation and the fullness of life elsewhere. There are a couple bumps in the road, a few few years in the desert. But, But Passover is this celebration that says we will not be occupied forever, we will not be slaves forever. And it it declares that though there is power in the world that is holding us back, those powers are fleeting, but the power of God to liberate, the power of God to bring life is infinite, cannot be ended. And so the Roman Empire was not super into Passover. Passover celebration under occupation is a direct challenge to empire because it says that one day Rome will fall and all will be made free. Is Rome still hanging out? I hear your hesitation, I understand. (laughs) Technically, no, Rome fell. That hesitation you're feeling is because Rome, in this sort of metaphorical sense, continues to rise in these empires and these powers, and we continue to resist. And so, what we say is that Rome, these powers of the earth, these powers that have declared themselves, are false, are fakers. That the real power for liberation and life is God. Romans weren't super into Passover because it was a direct threat, and it was a call out on them of saying, you might be in charge today, but you will be gone tomorrow, and our God is infinite and will bring us forth out of death and into life. So suck on that, Caesar. (laughs) So as the Romans were like, ooh, people are getting a little rebellious because it was a celebration of rebellion... They sent in the cavalry every year, totally freaked them out. So they had to come in um, and and, uh, more forcefully occupy Jerusalem this time of year. So from the west into Jerusalem, there was this big procession every year. It came from the west because that's where Pontius Pilate's beach house was. Um, He was the governor, and he was supposed to live in Jerusalem, but he was like, oh, I don't like that city life. Um, So he had like a big palace built by the sea. And, and so he would like roll in with his literal cavalry, um, military procession, horses, foot soldiers, everybody, you know, human and equine would be like covered head to toe in armor um, with weapons and banners and just this huge procession. And, and that was there as a display of military might to remind people like, okay, your God might be coming someday, but look who's in charge right now. And they would come in and they would make a big show about it. This huge, huge just expression of power. This power of death. Because it was, it was all military in this way that was like, we have the weapons to kill you. And look at how shiny they are in the sun. Um, and so they would have this huge, huge parade of power. But undergirding all of that wasn't just, and we'll kill you if you get out of hand. It was, uh, they had this Roman imperial theology. They had all these ideas to back it up. And the ideas were things like Caesar is Lord, and Caesar is the son of God, the prince of peace, that the power to be in that time were the salvation of all people, that they were going to bring goodness, that they were going to bring life and peace, which was utterly ironic when they were coming in with military might. But Pax Romana, Roman peace, was this whole big propaganda campaign that said, hey, I know this feels like death, but it's truly life. Hey, I know this feels like we're occupying and murdering you, but it's great, it's peace. And so they were trying to to undergird their power with these ideas that justified them and said that they had divine authority to be there. So is anybody making any connections to Palm Sunday yet? (laughs) I've always heard of Palm Sunday as this like, chill event where like Jesus just happened upon this donkey and was like, why don't I ride that today? And then it was like, oh my, the scriptures said something of this. Uh, And so people were like shouting in the streets just sort of randomly. But in fact, actually, like one of the reasons I was confused about that is because nobody had ever told me about the Roman procession from the West. I didn't know. I went to seminary and still didn't know. It wasn't until much later when I started learning about uh, more Jewish history that I understood that everyone would have known that Pontius Pilate and the, the Roman Imperial Guard were coming in from the west. That we—that's just a, a piece of information that we have kind of lost or forgotten over time. And so, as this procession was coming in from the west, Jesus was coming. Jesus was coming in from the east with a peasant procession, all the people that he had riled up in in the, the countryside over the intervening um, years as he went out. These crowds of people shouting, palm branches that they were. You know, waving in the air and laying down to form a path, this regal, royal procession of Jesus into Jerusalem from the east. Jesus on a donkey, which had a scriptural reference for them. It was a declaration of of kingship that the king would come in on a donkey uh, for salvation. And people shouting in unison, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And so as we shouted today, they were shouting. So, I think these two things are related. I don 't think it was just like a scheduling error. Um, and I think that that we often forget this we've We've been taught to spiritualize this story away from the, its political implications. We've been told that Jesus was just being this chill, humble dude, um, and that there's no political element to it that uh that it's just you know, another one of the things that Jesus is doing that, that makes him, um, you know, the nice, precious moments, sweet, fun guy we all love. But actually, there's, there's this element to it where he, is, he comes with no armor, he comes with no weapons, but this is a huge demonstration of his own power. It's a different kind of power, the power of life. And it's the power of the people coming together um, against the occupation, in contrast to the occupation, directly opposed east and west Saying, hey, we are here, we are coming in. This is our king, our king on a donkey. We don't need any of your weapons. We don't need any of your armor because we know who the true Lord is and he is right here, so put your banners away, Caesar. And it's this, this opposition. And I think that, that we often, we end up with a Jesus that's hyper-spiritualized to the point where we forget that Jesus might have had some intention and strategy, that Jesus might have been doing things that we could also do. So I want to read to you real quickly um, another account of this. This is from Mark. It says, When they were approaching Jerusalem at Bethphage in Bethany, near the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, and he said, Go into the village ahead of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find there tied a colt that has never been ridden. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, Why are you doing this? Just say this, The Lord needs it, and will send it back here immediately. They went away and found a colt tied near a door outside in the street. As they were untying it, some of the bystanders said to them, what are you doing untying this colt? They told them what Jesus had said, and they allowed them to take it. They brought the colt to Jesus, threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. Many people spread the cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches they had cut in the fields. Then those who went ahead and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our ancestor David. Hosanna in the highest. And I've always been taught to read that in this way that's like, what a miracle. What an incredible thing. The cult was right there. And... And they did ask why they were taking it. And they knew what to say because Jesus was like knew everything and just told them the exact right things. All these people just started shouting and somehow knew how to shout together the same thing. I want to tell you another story. When they were in Madison, holding vigil at a gathering of homophobic bigots, Jonah called out to Peggy on the telephone and said to her, go to the DigiPrint copy store on Van Buren Street, just south of Brady. When you enter it, you will find there a stack of 100 protest signs that have not yet been picked up. Gather these posters and bring them to church tomorrow. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Just say, Jonah from Zhao MKE Church sent me, and they have already been paid for. (laughs) Peggy went to Digicopy and requested the posters. When the employees there asked her, how can I help you? She said what Jonah had told her, and they allowed her to take them. (laughs) Miracle! (laughs) We spiritualize these stories, and it's cool. It's super cool to think that there was some mystical experience of people miraculously coming together. But it's also cool to think that Jesus was just a really good organizer. And actually, it's even better to think about it being both and, right? That this was planned in advance. This was executed well and accompanied by the miraculous power of the Holy Spirit. Every good street protest has both. Good planning and strategy and intention and leadership and also an infusion of the spirit that comes and pours out of the people gathered, especially when we stand in opposition to systems of death because life will surge and show up and bring beauty and joy and celebration. This was a good protest. This was Jesus organizing well, directly in conflict with Rome. His people knew what to shout. They were shouting down the banners and slogans they were directly responding to this imperial procession. When they say, blessed is the king of Israel, they are saying, we know who our king is, and it is not Caesar, and it is not Pontius Pilate, and it is, it is this man here right with us, this Jesus who is coming into your house, into God's house, to take you down. When they said, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, they were saying, you are not Lord Caesar, and you have no authority here. When they say, Hosanna, the word Hosanna has lots of meanings, and we're actually not 100% on what that context would have been. There are connotations of, of salvation, savior, rescue. And also, though, it is a shout of joy. It is a, an alleluia with, with uh, a spirit of joy and celebration and victory to it. And so they have this beautiful, joy-filled, life-filled celebration, declaration of God's power in opposition to Rome, in opposition to death. Was anybody out with us last Sunday? Uh, We didn't have services. Instead, we went to Drag Queen Story Hour. All right, all right. So, Drag Queen Story Hour is a a declaration of life, beauty, and joy in, in the city of Milwaukee and across the country, actually. It's a, it's a time where uh, folks get up uh, and, and dress in drag. There are kings and queens that sit down, um, bring children into a story time and tell, tell stories, read books, and spend time together as family. It's a celebration of imagination, of gender bending, family, of story. It's awesome. And so you can imagine that people who are just, like, not into life and joy and beauty, people who are bought into systems of death and corruption and evil in the world, people who want to box in gender, box in children and tell people, hey, we've really bought into the propaganda of the world, and therefore you must too, they're not a fan. And so they've started to attack these celebrations of life in the same way that they do to Jesus. These mechanisms of death come and try and clamp it down. And so we heard, and there were going to be there ended up being 50 protesters at Drag Queen Story Hour with their ugly posters and their ugly um, sayings coming out of their bullhorns, their dour faces, their ankle-length skirts. <laughs> Many people can pull off an ankle-length skirt, but mandatory ankle-length skirts, bummer. So they gathered, and uh, and they tried to to bring their death. Into Drag Story Hour. And so, because we are a community of life, because we are a community that follows Jesus, because we declare and believe in Zao, that promise of life, and because we believe that systems of death need to be met with shouts and acclamations of joy and life, we came out too. <laughs> We came out too. And in fact, when we called on our sisters, siblings, and brothers out in the community to come and defend Drag Queen Story Hour, not we, we were responding to them, right? They were, they were doing this beautiful thing. They said, hey, we're under attack. What do we do when, when drag queens are under attack? What do we do? Yeah, like yeah. all right. So we did. And so we came out along with all those other people who felt that call to life. And there were about 50 of the, of the baddies, of the bummer protesters. There were 150 of us. And we shouted and we sang and we celebrated and we cheered when the queens were walking down the street. And inside, there was still... So many, I think, I I don't know the actual numbers, but I peeked my head and it looked well more than 100 people gathered inside, including children with the queens and with the kings who were doing this storytelling, and this life was able to thrive. We are here because we declare life. We are here because we believe Jesus when he says that we can be made fully alive. We are here because we believe that Jesus, through us, brings life from death. (coughs) And that is why we are in the streets. The story will continue beyond Palm Sunday. Standing in the streets is not all what we're called to do. But in the face of powers of evil and death that have designed infinite mechanisms to declare their power, that clamp down extra hard when we do something super awesome, We respond by pouring out our life, by declaring that God is the true God, that the powers of this world are finite, that their evil, their death, their destruction will not win out in the end. We declare those things with shouts of joy, shouts of acclamation, shouts that are not only our savior, our rescue is here, but hallelujah, hosanna, doesn't it feel good? When we sing, when we shout, when we dance in the street, we are living life fully in a way that pushes back on those systems of death and destruction. And so, we as a community do that as well. Now, first century Jewish Palestine didn't have any digit copies, so they used palm fronds, but we have the benefit of printing Uh, printing posters and so we we in the spirit of Palm Sunday made all of these signs some of them um, follow in in Jesus and his followers footsteps directly around um, invoking those images of Caesar right hashtag not my Caesar we've got the palm fronds and the Hosanna we also have those slogans and messages that are important for our times abolish ice black lives matter Um, love wins. These are the things that declare life in our times, that push back against those systems of destruction and death. And so we know that we will come to a direct confrontation at some time, but we go into those confrontations shouting. We go into those confrontations singing. We go into confrontations declaring the victory because we know that God will win and therefore we have already won. And so I want you to pray with me today. And today we're going to pray a little differently out of the sermon. So I'm going to ask you to stand as you're able in, in uh, body or in spirit. We are going to pray in chant. We're going to do three prayers. One is Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Emily already introduced you to that. The next one is whose streets? Our streets. And then the third is we believe that we will win. Are you ready? I'm gonna I'm gonna take this mic a little further away from my mouth. All right. Hosanna! Hosanna Get those signs up. Hosanna! Hosanna in the heights. Hosanna! Hosanna in the heights. Hosanna! Hosanna in the heights. Whose street? Our street. Whose street? Our street. Whose streets? Our street. Whose streets. Our street. Whose streets? Our street. We believe that we will win! We believe that we will win. 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 We believe that we will
0: win. We 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 will win. We we will win. Amen. Alright, in that same vein, stay exactly where you are.